This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford with my co-host, Mark Sinell. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. So today we have another badass guest. Chris Sailing is Deputy Director, Army People Analytics and the Chief Analytics Officer for the Army Talent Management Task Force. She coordinates analytic and technology solutions, rights policy and resources in a, and resources innovation to promote data-driven decision-making across the Army's people enterprise. Chris, welcome to Tech Transforms. <laughs> Thanks so much. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I think this is going to be fun. It is. Yes, we, we, do have, we do happy have fun. Yes, yes. So I want to start off, actually, two-part question. Let's start off with the awesome poster behind you of Sherlock <laughs> Holmes. Um, tell us the story behind that. Oh, there, there are a bunch of stories behind that. But the big one is people ask me why I went into data science out of all the things I could have gone into. And my usual answer for them is because I read too much Sir Arthur Conan Doyle when I was growing up. And I just love the idea of sifting through all this information and finding clues and solving problems. And that just kind of persisted. So that's up there for some motivation. But also a huge Robert Downey Jr. fan. Um, right. He has his own. He established a, uh, a smart AI a corporation that specializes in sustainability work what? through AI. So, yeah, it's called Footprints. I have no idea. Yeah. What's so, it called? Uh, Footprints. Footprints. Okay. Yeah, so he took the whole Tony Stark thing and decided he was going to make that his real life. Shut up. That's neat. It's awesome. I, I'm loving him even more. I mean, I've mm -hmm. always been a big fan. How can you not be? Right, Yeah, Mark? save the planet through AI. How can you not love that? Right. So, okay, yeah. before we move on to the about your job is there do you have a favorite uh arthur conan doyle story like what's your favorite sherlock holmes oh geez there's <laughs> there's so many of them this stick but i just i just um uh I'm trying to remember the title of it it's it's one of the first ones it's where he first meets watson and just some of their banter it, it's a really long and unusual story like half of the story is flashback where he's talking to the perpetrator of one of these crimes and is talking about his you know, migration across the, the wild west frontier. I'm going to have to try and remember what that was, but it's just the meaning between him and, and Watson, just the dynamic of this very straight laced professional trying to sit there and figure out what the heck he has in this certifiably insane new roommate. Yeah. But the fact that they connect on the intellectual level, it just, you know, it just makes that dynamic all kinds of fun. Do you remember that was how, Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember how old you were when you first got hooked? Your first story? Uh, 12 or 13, I think. Wow. Nice. All right. All right. So into now we know what kind of inspired you to get into the into the line of work that you're in. Um, Mark and I are really intrigued by your titles. <laughs> like, is it HR? Is it operations? It's super cool. Like you have a quote that you say you're leveraging AI to leverage AI. Am I getting that right? So yeah. will, will you unpack what it is you do to include how AUSA fits in? Okay. So I have two bosses. One of them is the assistant secretary of the army for manpower and reserve affairs. The other is the director of the army talent management task force. 
because in both of my roles, I essentially have the same portfolio. <clears throat> and my portfolio, um, my short way of explaining it is it's all things um, talent data and data talent. So doing a lot to revitalize how the Army is looking at its personnel management systems, going from you know just transactional human capital type work to actual people analytics, where we're starting to look at not just quantity num um, quantity analytics, but quality um, distribution, employment. How do we optimize performance? But then also, how do we do targeted retention to keep our top talent? Those kind of problems. On the data talent side, I run a planning team that looks at the Army Data Workforce. I've run this for about two years now. And we look at how we do talent management for the folks who are doing everything from our very high-end analytics, building AI solutions, doing very high-end data architecture to just what does basic data literacy look like for them. So all of that fits in within this really broad portfolio. But I've been, I've been really fortunate in that my bosses have allowed me to essentially build my portfolio. They've, they've just kind of come at me with you know, we're giving you some free space to think about what the army needs to understand about its people and what kind of talent we need to make that happen. So go play. And I swear that this has been my favorite job in the army. It's so much fun. So who are your customers that, uh, uh, then are, are your customers com commanders over certain areas? Um, and then you're looking to, to help them as far as how they field their organization or, um, it's not really operational or logistics type stuff. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the projects we have ongoing right now is a campaign of learning where we're trying to see how far down in the operational army we push data talent and how do we build the supporting architecture? How do we build the supporting environments that we need in order to do analytics at that level? And how do we make it accessible? But then also how do we train up not just the data professionals who are going to be working at that level, but how do we train the commanders to interpret the information and turn it into, into action, into decisions? So when you talk about the architecture, it's the architecture of the human capital and the resources that you're providing to, to do what whatever the mission would be. So there's some of that. Some of it's, it's process engineering. The rest is actual data architecture. Have we developed our pipelines in order to be able to push data safely and securely to... Um, to these organizations that haven't previously had access. They've had to send okay. uh, RFIs or requests for information up higher. So okay. we want to be able to, we don't want them to have to send in a request and then, you know, 48 hours, two weeks, whatever it is later, they get some analysis that may, you know, you've all seen the requirements model where it's like, it's like playing telephone. <laughs> the more steps you have in between the person who actually needs something and the person who's going to deliver it, the more it gets garbled. We want to be able to have commanders ask their question, to a um, to the right kind of talent to interpret it appropriately, understand what is needed in the data and be able to engineer that solution. Now, it might just be a couple folks at that point of the question point of origin, basically with reach back capability up into higher ranks, but we're still, again, campaign of learning. We're experimenting with what works best and what's the best use of our talent. So do you have challenges with ensuring that the AI is unbiased? Oh, that's a challenge everywhere. I mean, because yeah. I think the idea that AI is ever going to be unbiased, it's like saying that humans are ever going to be unbiased because we're all, you know, we all well, and use it's biases. really just an extension of us, right? It is. It's a, 
it's only as good as the decisions made by the people who program it or the decisions it's learning from. So the way you get around bias in in AI is the same way you get around bias in an organization. You bring in a lot of diverse perspectives. You bring in a lot of QC. You ask a lot of the what if questions. QC, sorry. Oh, sorry, quality control. Okay. So you got to go back through and um, essentially triage the model when you're developing either a machine learning model, deep learning model, or you have AI making those decisions and those recommendations. But um, part of that is going back through and looking at what the model is keying in on. And is it actually you know, making decisions based on stuff you want it to be making decisions? Do you need to hide some of the variables? Um, <laughs> there's an example I used. It was an AI that uh, somebody created you know, a few years ago to predict uh, winners of the Academy Awards. And it turned out it was just keying in on anything Daniel Day-Lewis was in. And it's just like... <laughs> Okay, granted that is correlated, but you thought, we don't want you predicting based on this. He might turn in a lemon. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you mentioned in, in, a, in a recent interview uh, that you look at the problem from the end game backwards. You look at it. So that, that I mean, this, this to me, it kind of builds on the, the, the question we just asked because um, it's a, it seems like a very difficult thing to do because if you start with the end game, then aren't you basically saying this is what this is the outcome we want to see? And or how do you create the algorithm to give you something that well you don't know and you don't want to necessarily point it to to the answer? You know, you want to see what you might be able you might be able to get out of it without doing that. So I, I think when we talk about I think the, I think it's beginning with the end in mind. Um, when we start looking at the outcomes we want to generate, we have to focus in on something and train the model. And sometimes that focus is a proxy for what we actually want it to focus on. And more and more, we're getting our folks to build things using very modular, reusable code, very tailorable code. um, So that if we decide we want it to do business a different way, we want it to key in on something differently, um, then that's fairly easy to go in and modify. We're doing this right now with um, some of the predictive tools we're looking at for performance because the way we're looking at performance right now is based on how the Army currently measures performance. But we have a number of efforts going on right now to change through our campaign of assessments how we um, how we measure performance. So we need that to be something we can iterate on later. But um, kind of to your point, I think one of the things that we've keyed in on over time for for the Army has been that there's no more end states. You know, we're not going to plan toward an end state. Something isn't just like a one and done. This is a continual, we've got to keep upgrading and we've got to keep, uh, we've got to keep developing. We've got to keep this thing adaptive and learning. So if we get more traction on that, then we, we generate more of a flavor of process improvement. Your, um, okay. your job sounds really broad. So correct me. Yeah. Correct me if I if if I'm getting this wrong or missing something, but I think I heard you say you use AI to source new talent, retain talent, and help identify talent that's there. Um, who's going to be best on this mission or that mission? Like who should be on these different. That last one is things we're trying to get to because we're doing okay. a lot of job competency studies right now to look and see what's actually required for different positions because we don't have that in the level, the granular level of data that I'm looking for to be able to make some of those recommendations. I mean, 
what I envision out of our, our marketplace is you eventually, you know, you get a recommendation engine, it starts looking like Amazon. Since you like this job, you might also like these. Mm-hmm. Since you did mm-hmm. this job, these might be next best mm-hmm. for you based on your capabilities. So we have an effort right now to basically make an intelligent individual development plan where folks can go through. Oh, excuse me, where folks can go through and see um, where their skills might best lead them or pick goal um, goal positions down the way that this can show them, okay, here are the gaps in your current resume. You know, my eventual dream for that is here are the gaps in your resume. Would you like to sign up for a class? Would you like to take mm-hmm. a self-initiated assessment? Would you like mm-hmm. to talk to your career coach? You know, all these different ways that we can help them bridge that gap. So it, I, seems, it sounds like you, you are... So, so you working, you're working with the leadership of the army to determine this is where the army needs to be in five, 10 years down the road. Yeah. That this was the charter they gave can, me. It's just like, okay, yeah. what do we need to know about the army? Here's your, what's your 10 year people on Luke's plan. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> wow. Well, and now I, I had never really thought about using AI for this purpose. It makes sense. And I'm wondering if your role, how, how new is this job? Do other organizations, even in the commercial world, like, is this a thing or is this a thing that you're creating right now? So this particular job is one I created for the Army. Um, I've been in and out of the MNRA for the past six years, which is unusual for an Army officer. Normally they PCS us a lot. But I started out in the G1, um, the Army's director of personnel, um, working on, you know, how do we how do we actually use our data How do we collude all of it together out of all of the different systems we have spread throughout the army in a way where we can rapidly access it and utilize it to solve problems. So we put together what was at the time called uh, the human capital big data plan, which just basically directed consolidation of all our personnel data into this massive data warehouse that we house out in Monterey with the research facilitation lab. From there, we've grown a number of different initiatives. We started using this data in creative ways and we've really started being able to see the gaps between you know, what we need as far as data to answer our questions, what we don't have, and you know, basically are we asking the right questions. But kind of coming back before, I noticed I um, didn't quite address this, the leveraging AI, leveraging AI to leverage AI. Mm-hmm. AI takes a lot of data so we are making more data. We're using natural language processing, optical character recognition, a whole bunch of other techniques that fall underneath the advanced analytics umbrella to go through and read old evaluations, to read files, to read transcripts, to read all of the stuff that we have that's sitting in TIFF files in our, um, in our repositories at Human Resources Command and trying to turn that into more usable information. Like how much data are you crunching every day? A lot. <laughs> a lot. I mean, so we is, have... this, is this more of a future state for us or is this, a, is this like a now state? Like they're, we're able to take advantage of, of, of this. Oh, this is now. I mean, we have this argument with, yeah. yeah, we have this argument with futures command a lot. It's like AI is not the future. AI is now because mm-hmm. right now at RFL, we're supervising seven separate AI projects where we're, you know, we're actually using an IBM Watson implementation and a couple other things to do AI projects and predictive modeling. Um, one of yeah. those that we mentioned before was retention prediction. Um, this hopefully this February, March, we're fielding, it's already been tested as a trial. We're just waiting to get it up on accessible the RPMA, the Retention Prediction Model Army, 
which creates, um, we've got this in partnership with the Institute for Defense Analysis. We're just putting it into our systems and getting it hooked up to all the right data feeds. Um, but it creates an individual vector of attrition for every active duty person right now. Mm. So we can say, you know, based on this quarter, next quarter out to, you know, 20 years from now, what's the likelihood we're going to retain this person? Oh, yeah. That's cool. But I mean, the bit, the best part of it is not just the individual aspect. It's just it makes it really easy for us to combine that data and look at those um, prediction vectors by demographics, by particular skill sets, by commissioning source, by, um, you know, by a point of a session. And we can really figure out trends in who's staying and who's going and where we need to do some targeted retention efforts if we're going to keep the right talent that we need for the future, which we're also trying to develop um, some algorithms to help us figure that out of our marketplace. We want to have something that looks kind of like um, LinkedIn's Talent Insights, where you start seeing demand go up for certain skills. You know, you've got your human resources professional. Well, this person also needs to have a background in analytics now because we're seeing all these things. We want it to pop up in the marketplace and tell a commander, hey, you know, we're, we're starting to see this demand signal here. Do you want to add this to your request? Yes, yes, they do. And I also want to be able to funnel that information to our schoolhouses as we're developing yeah. the training talent so that they know, hey, you know, this is an increasing demand in your field. You need to make sure that we have this in the POI, in the program of instruction. Do are you, you collaborate? At, oh, I'm sorry, Carol. I was, are, are, are you looking at a, across the Army, like even to the warfighter needs? Are you, are you talking more like uh, maybe the like IT and some of the different um, skill sets like that? No, our best, um, our best client in the campaign of learning right now is the 18th Airborne Corps and the 82nd Airborne Division. So they're, they're doing um, Project Ridgeway, which is their, um, their move toward becoming an AI-driven corps and division. They have a number of different exercises that have gone on through that process um, to test how they're going to use this information, what they need to automate, what kind of, you know, how it's going to change their business processes and their decision flow. We're looking at supporting them with this talent, but then, you know, we're also looking at, you know, how do we do it at the high level? What is the leading edge for these capabilities look like in some of our, you know, we've got army research labs working on this. We have the AI integration center up at Carnegie Mellon looking at this. We have futures command doing a lot of great data science work. We have, the Center for Army Analysis. We have a lot of folks who are really kind of digging in and looking at what the future looks like. So you're collaborating a lot within DOD and I heard mm -hmm. Carnegie Mellon. What about industry at large? Like you mentioned, LinkedIn Insights. Do you collaborate with industry? Oh yeah, yeah, frequently. Um, we're, we're actually trying to leverage some of the collaboration with academia and industry that our Air Force partners have done so far. I talk a lot to the guys who founded Digital University so they've got a lot of um, they have a lot, a lot of networks going with both academic partners and industry partners in how they're developing their curriculum for their advanced analysts. Um, I do have some other partnerships going on with various vendors that we're trying to bring on board as part of our Army Data Accelerator, which is kind of what we're doing as far as our individual training. Um, and then uh, we've got a great partnership going on with Jordan Morrow. Um, he is. Uh, one of the content directors over at Pluralsight, but he's also got a great book out, Be Data Literate, that um, basically making all my new commanders read. It's like, this is why you need to understand how these things fit into your decision cycle. So we've actually taken some of the stuff he's done and modeled 
our doctrine for integrating data into information advantage and decisions in our deci command decision process. Um, and that's going to be coming out fairly soon. Well, that's interesting. Um, it's amazing how many different people you can collaborate on just kind of, you know, posting some stuff on LinkedIn and all of a sudden you're just like, there is this whole network. I, I love that there is this huge collaborative network of people who are very passionate about this work and just want to be part of, you know, just want to bring their expertise to the table. How do you think we fare against the, the greater global presence, meaning our adversaries and competition? Do you think we're ahead of the game or behind the game? Or So that's always right a difficult there? question. Um, we're not where I want us. And that's one of the reasons I've been such an advocate for data literacy, not just at our, our operational levels, but with our senior leaders, because the more people who understand how this works, the more people who can help us get that technical advantage, who understand the, the imperative that we have to get there. Because otherwise, I mean, we, we don't want to be sending our folks with, you know, stubby pencils and pocket calculators up against full-scale automation. We do not. That, you know, it's, it's Poland in 1937 all over again. Yeah. So we we've we're not where I want us to be, but we have an opportunity to get this. We have a lot of data talent in the army. We have a lot of visionaries. We have a lot of innovators. It is just absolutely amazing how many people are moving forward just kind of out of their own volition with whatever they can scrape together, building these little coalitions of innovators and making stuff work. What we need to do as an army is get everybody else on board so that we can capitalize on that, so that we can scale it and drive it and resource it appropriately. And then I think then I think we're going to get there. So you're recruiting those people to come over to your organization. Is mm -hmm. that what I hear? Yeah, I want to know <laughs> I want to know your secret. I mean, honestly, <laughs> when I think about going into well, any government job, I certainly don't think money so how do you attract talent? So when, when it comes to, I mean, I've had a lot of chance to think about this because we do a lot of retention studies. Money is part of the equation, but the larger equation is quality of life and quality of work. Mm -hmm. Money is a factor in quality of life, but there are a lot of ways that we can generate quality of life. Like in my case, my quality of life was being in a location where my husband could get a good job, where my family was happy, where we could take care of, of aging relatives and since we're all working digitally, it was not a big jump. My, my organization is distributed anyway. Um, our research facilitation lab and Army Analytics Group are out on the West Coast. And I've got folks at Fort Knox, down at Fort Gordon, at Fort Belvoir, up in the Pentagon, and I'm here in Orlando. So that was a pretty easy jump. What we want to do is kind of push more of these types of solutions out for quality of life and giving people more um, agency and autonomy in the work they do. because. If we do that, I mean, just seeing the number of people who have kind of flocked to the army to be able to work on these problems and they want to come in and actually work on these problems. They don't want to be brought in under the pretense of working on these problems and then, you know, kind of shuttled off to do regular army staff work. So we really kind of got to guard against that. But um, that's kind of the quality of work aspect. I'm, people come I'm to the, us because we're, you know, we're 1.4 million people. Do you want to affect yeah. transformative change on an organization of 1.4 million people? Yeah, people like that. Well, I, I just, I keyed in on, on a couple of words you said. I'm the daughter of a Cold War <coughs> colonel and agency and autonomy in the military are not two words that I would have put, that I would have associated with that. 
So you're telling me like even the warfighter down to that level? Really? Yeah. People have goals. People have objectives. And we want to be able to we want to be able to broaden the talent bench for all of the opportunities we have in the Army. And in order to do that, we need to be able to look at people's capabilities and where they where they want to serve and inform those preferences so that they have a good understanding of where the Army needs them, where the Army values them and where they can, you know, really contribute the most where they can. Because we, we draw in people who, you know, who see value in service. They want to be of service. Mm. So if we can put people where they want to be of service, we have maximized the performance of that team. Or at least that's kind of the guiding philosophy behind talent management. That's, that's not really your job. Your job is just to let the, your constituents and your customers know what yeah. they need to do. And, and my job is of, to inform the decision. Yeah. It's their job to make it. Right. Is it and it's working <laughs> like you, you give the information and people are acting on it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's been exciting because um, we actually had a lot of co- talks about that with uh, General McGee, who was our first director of the Talent Management Task Force, um, at least when I got there. And he asked, you know, in an AI-driven world, what is the what is the role of intuition and experience? And I said, well, I'm just giving you a better weather forecast. You still got to make a choice on whether or not you carry an umbrella. So that's kind of what I'm doing for for the Army in terms of its requirements. I am laying out this massive menu of Army requirements. And seeing where people's preferences lie. If we have requirements where we aren't generating the right talent, then we need to change our recruiting. Yeah. Or if people aren't preferencing it, then, well, maybe we need to throw some incentives at this. Maybe we need to make sure it's not a dead end career job because mm. you know, people want to progress. They want to be able to, you know, have their service valued. They want to be able to, you know, get that quality of life and take care of their families. So how do we, mm. how do we incentivize those jobs where that's not immediately evident to folks so that we have more people preferring them. And we've got some really talented talent managers running around in the Army right now. And I think one of my favorite ones to work with has been uh, General Curtis Taylor, who's down at the National Training Center right now. He was in the 5th SFAB up at Fort Lewis before. And he is great when it comes to recruiting, incentivizing, and employing talent. So there, there are some really amazing leaders out there who are capitalizing on this system. And that, that part has been exciting. And what we're trying to do is just kind of get the tools and the training and everything else, the best practices out to everybody else so that they can they can learn from it and capitalize on it. And that really flows across the, the military and the civilian people, too. You're not talking about just like one or the mm-hmm. other. Yes, yeah, kind of the whole mix. Oh, yeah. No, we cover <clears throat> our Army people strategy covers both military and civilian talent. And in the future, we envision those being a lot more permeable. How have you mean? guys fared during the great resignation? Or as I like to say, take this job and shove it. Has <laughs> it hit you? Um, I think it's hit everybody Yeah. at this point. I mean, again, people are kind of looking for that, the quality of life. And yeah. I think quarantine and COVID and everything else has made people confront what it is they want out of their work and their life. and reconfigure their priorities. I actually have a, I think it's over here somewhere, um, a book I was reading. It's called The Balance Myth. Hmm. And it's rethinking work-life success and how you draw those boundaries. Um, I think the quick summary is that it's all life. If you don't like what you're doing in life and in work, it's time to reprioritize. And I think we're seeing that happen in the great resignation. So again, kind of coming back to 
quality of life, quality of work. You want people to work for you. You've got to provide them what they want in terms of quality of life and quality of work, which we are actually kind of surveying the heck out of right now. We have a, our Department of the Army Career Engagement Survey, which is another one of the projects that my office runs. Um, and that surveys everybody. Because so we have good information on priorities and concerns for people who stay and people who leave. So we can compare and contrast. Previously, we just had exit surveys. But that's been one of the ways we've been trying to get after that. It's like, what does the Army actually want? Do you have... Yeah. I love lists. So I want to know if you have like a list of best practices for any organization that wants to use AI for talent acquisition and retention. I mean, I would say at the top of the list is get a hold of you. But <laughs> what, what would your recommendations be if they're just starting out? So a lot of it starts with a roadmap. Um, and that starts with a deliberate deconstruction of what decisions they want to make and then what data and information feeds those decisions. Because the first thing they're going to have to consider is, do they have enough? Oftentimes they do. So you, you can build models off a fairly small amount of data. I don't recommend it. But, you know, that roadmap will kind of tell you if you have enough to start running those models or not. You can start with just even just having dashboards of descriptive analytics can be helpful for decision makers when they actually see their organization and what kind of decisions they're making and how that's impacting their population. But if they're looking to roll out um, automation and AI in their processes, it's not going to be the fun and exciting piece of AI. It's going to be um, the less exciting part, which is looking at their processes and figuring out how they can streamline them for people, which is robotic process automation. I mean, I think almost immediately you get a good RPA engineer into any organization and they can improve your processes. Anywhere you got to hand jam out a bunch of forms, they can tell you how to automatically feed that information into that form from which database. So the person just has to go in through and verify it and sign. Um, you know, get, getting accounts, getting new accounts, getting people transferred, getting information sent from the right files to other files, all of that can be enabled and expedited with RPA. So if you're starting to do that, then you start getting better files, happier people, because they don't have to fill out as much stuff and better data because a lot of that transfer, you know, is captured in metadata. I don't know if that gets exactly to the startup piece, but I, I would say just map out the processes, look at what data you need to inform what decisions and don't be afraid of starting small. Because um, a small start with a value proposition at the end of it that saves yeah. time for people is always a good thing. Are there resources <laughs> with your group that people could access? We do a lot of free information sharing, free idea sharing. So, you know, say so just get in touch with me. We'll point you in the right direction of experts who are looking at working on this. We're trying to put together some communities of practice for, you know, what the future of work looks like. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to get as much out there and collaborate as much as possible. We're going to move to our tech talk questions. Excuse um, me. <laughs> Mark, you want to throw over the first one? Sure. These are just more fun, uh, personal kind of uh, questions to see what you're thinking uh, as a civilian. But um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the next big leap in technology is going to be? Oh. I think it's rapidly available quantum. 
I mean, I think as soon as quantum gets out there, then it is going to change the heck out of how we do a lot of business. So, I mean, encryption is just going to be a totally different animal. I think it's going to be impossible. Um, but when it comes to AI and analytics, it's, it's, it's not the technology because I think we have a lot of the technology in the processes. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the processes that we use right now for data analytics, natural language processing, a lot of the algorithms that feed that were developed back in the 70s. Um, some of it was just, you know, hand jammed stuff done by, you know, some seriously old school mathematicians. And we're just using it for large data sets with the compute power we have. The, the fun part, and again, kind of speaking as a complexity scientist, in a complex system, you get these emergent behaviors. So, you know, what are the emergent behaviors going to be that really fundamentally change how we do business? Um, you know, looking at just people's uh, interactions via social media, what kind of information is being shared, what kind of processes are being shared. Um, I think this collaborative, this digitally collaborative environment that we've developed during COVID is a large leap in tech just because mm. everybody's business process, there's no longer, I'm going to fly, I have to fly to a meeting and I'm going to sit down with you for two hours. And I'm going to leave. It's I'm going to reach out and talk to a guy who's up at MIT. And then I'm going to call some of my compatriots at West Point that I'm developing data one-on-one curriculum with. And I'm going to talk to our um, data proponency office that we just established out in Fort Leavenworth. And then I'm gonna, I don't have to travel anywhere for these meetings. I can do it all from here. So mm-hmm. I can reach out and collaborate with a ton of different organizations and share information without having go, to go anywhere. So we're mm-hmm. now doing that. We're, we're seeing just these explosions of, of um, code sharing uh, sites where you know, people are looking at generating reusable code, where they're looking at you know, getting the stuff rated and shared. Um, I think the collaboration and kind of the effective crowdsourcing of innovation that's happening right now is going to generate a lot of leaps. Yeah. Okay. That's this, actually a different different answer than we've heard from some folks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So you've already given us a lot of great read suggestions, which we will add to our show notes. But I want to ask, are there any other things as it relates to tech, but also maybe just that you do as guilty pleasure, like read watch, listen to? So, you know, podcasts are my favorite thing. I'll put one in and listen to, you know, various podcasts when I'm out running. Um, Tradoc does a great mad scientist podcast out of their G2 office. You never would figure ah. it, but their Intel office has a really good data science program and they mad run. Scientist? It's called the mad scientist podcast. Okay. Um, that's one I definitely recommend. Done a lot with uh, data robots, more intelligent tomorrow. I enjoy that one. So those are always a good thing. If you just want to get out, I mean, especially working at home, I like to be able to get outside and go for a walk. I'll just plug one of those in and listen mm-hmm. to it when I walk or run. Um, I do a fair amount of reading. My my <laughs> my Kindle has exploded. I mean, it's like everybody's sharing their, you know, quantity versus quality, their book numbers. I think I read over like 110 books last year. 11 mm-hmm. of them were actually, I needed to dig into them cerebral. The rest of them were just brain candy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's nothing like getting into some good sci-fi or some... Uh, All right. What's your favorite sci-fi? Sci-fi is my favorite. So give me, a, I need a new book. Douglas Richards is his name. Um, he is an MD who likes taking actual the science of things and just taking a little twist on it. And this one here, uh, Game Changer, uh-huh. um, Douglas Richards. It's about, you know, everybody keeps talking about what if you had 
that matrix upload. If you had the chip in your head or the matrix portal where you could just take and download and learn things instantly, but it's like, okay, so what are the downfalls of that? What if somebody could go in there and kind of reprogram your reality a little bit and change your perceptions? How do you guard against those? So he writes a lot of books where he just takes, you know, kind of cutting edge existing science and just, you know, takes it on the thriller. uh, Makes it scary. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So no, those are, those are good. And you're sitting there just, you know, as, as somebody who likes thrillers, like, wow, this is really cool. And as a scientist, I'm like, oh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Have you seen the new uh, Matrix Resurrections? I haven't yet. I want to. Um, so I went in with I low expectations. Don't, don't, don't give it away. Don't give I'm it not, away. I'm not. I liked it. And I liked it too. Just like talking that. about <laughs> altered realities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that one changed a lot of people's perspectives on you know, what your perspective is. I think that too is extremely relevant in this day and age because we keep talking about threats in the AI space. I mean, everybody's talked a little bit about deep fakes mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, it's funny when it's a guy who's pretending to be Tom Cruise playing the guitar. But, you know, you start looking at some of the ones that have actually been used. You have people saying things that they're not saying. In a lot of our wartime situations, scenarios that we train against, or, you know, our leaders like to say, well, what happens when, you know, they cut the cable and we no longer have, you know, access to all of our internet and everything else. So everything's kind of not in the cable anymore. But um, mm-hmm. tell them it's like losing our capability is not the biggest threat. Not trusting our capability is the biggest threat. And I've had people ask, wait, you know, what would you do to- Wait, say that again? Oh yeah. Um, losing the capability. It's like, we know what happens if we rely on automation and all of a sudden we don't have it, but it's like, you know, what happens if somebody goes in and, you know, deep fakes all of your information uh-huh. campaign, what happens if somebody seeds your machine learning model with a bunch yeah. of bad data and it's making bad predictions, you know, how do you guard against that more subtle uh, version? Uh-huh. And it's not, it's not the big hack where you see that somebody's stolen your data. That's the problem. It's the little siphons yeah. Where somebody's continually drawing stuff off that you never noticed that are the problem. So I think uh-huh. again, Getting with data Nancy education. Pelosi to slur her words. <laughs> like that. I mean, but mm-hmm. but truly, like just those little subtle things, it makes us think, oh, that person is nuts and they're oh, yeah. leading their or, country. You, know, you had a shake to somebody's hand and go, oh, well, they're they're suffering from something. I don't know if I can listen yeah. to them anymore. Which is really, I mean, my husband, I think I mentioned earlier, he's a visual effects artist. Mm-hmm. And he does special effects for TV shows and movies. After seeing some of the stuff he's done, I'm just like, you cannot trust, you know, Anything. You know video evidence is no longer evidence. Photographic evidence is no longer well, evidence. So how do we ensure trust? Sorry, yeah. we're getting deep on these tech talk questions. How, how do we ensure trust? I think it's the same thing with uh, the bias question. It's yeah. lots of perspectives. It's lots of views. It's, you know, you can use AI to uh, quality control AI. You can have it evaluate its programs and find it. One of the things AI is really good at doing is finding anomalies. It doesn't necessarily tell you what you need, what you what it means, but it'll tell you, hey, that thing's weird, which is why it's really good at cancer detection. Yeah, that black so, cat that just mm-hmm. walked across the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And again, <laughs> that's a little flag that that's weird. Yeah. So, yeah, you can pit AI against itself to mm-hmm. detect anomalies in the model's predictions. And that's the kind of things that we need people to, again, to have the the education on how all this stuff works to be able to figure out and implement. Because everybody's, everybody, 
well, not everybody, but, you know, we have a number of people who come up with the concerns like, oh, we're just supposed to, det- to turn our decisions over to a machine. It's like, no, you don't turn them over to just one person. So don't mm-hmm. turn it over to the machine. The machine is just going to go through the nuts and bolts of all of this information a lot faster than you will, but you still got to look at it and see if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of us who are working in the AI space, we're, we're a little bit... I mean, we're, we're a lot rebellious when it comes to the army model. <laughs> Everybody thinks, oh, it's army. It's just kind of, you know, you're going to going to follow through the paces and we have our, we have our orders. A lot of us are, um, we question authority, we'll say. <laughs> and because of that, we go through the models and we're able to say, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Or, you know, I don't, I don't get this. Why did you do this? Or, you know, do you really want to make that decision? And we have yeah. to, we have to be able to question all of this. And we have and to be able to question like a scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a, a brave new world. Skeptic. This is not the this is not the military that I was raised in. I will just say that <laughs> this is a huge paradigm shift. Oh, All th- right, those Mark. are the kind of people that we're looking for. I mean, as okay. as the army, we we keep we keep sitting there and thinking about it. it's like, well, we need these creative thinkers, and we need people to kind of go and you know push the envelope on how we're innovating so that we you know so that we can crowdsource the brain power of the army and keep up. We are actually fairly good at that. If we can get out of our own way in that closed kind of box that we place people in in the first five, you know, six, seven years of their career. Where mm-hmm. it's like we want everybody to come in, you know, we get all these creative people, all these energetic people, and like, okay, well here you're going to do this and here's exactly your path and here's what well, that's where we end up losing a lot of these free thinking, um, free associative creative thinkers. Yeah. So we really kind of want to re-outfit how we're making that balance between having people understand the Army business processes, understanding <clears throat> that in, you know, I mean, there's a purpose for it in combat situations. If somebody says do something, you got to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, OK, here's where I can give you leeway. Here's where I can give you a place to experiment. And I think this is the biggest difference between the Army now and the Army previously here's where I can give you space to try stuff and fail. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's where we are right now. And we are, people keep asking us, well, what kind of problem are you trying to solve? It's like, no, we're not trying to solve a problem. We're trying to improve a process and we're not in a crisis right now. So this is the time to experiment. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark. That's really, that's fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, my my questions are are simple. So, do you have a a favorite app or gadget? Keep this thing on me at all times. It's awesome. Plus, I get to see my uh, my husband and a cute kiddo. That's, that's just a popped great up picture on it. too. But yeah, no, I um I always have my iPhone on me. I mean, it's it's been great for remote work because now my bosses have figured out that instead of having me in the office because they figure that's where they can reach out and touch you, but they can't because I'm always running around in meetings. Mm-hmm. But if I'm at home, they can just get me on this thing anytime. Yeah, a blessing and a curse. Part. Yeah, a blessing and a curse. All right. If you could wave your technology magic wand and you could have any technology that you wanted, what would it be? You know, I keep coming back to all things uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark's, you know, his, his three-dimensional drafting there. table. <laughs> Yeah, yes. he's got this three-dimensional drafting table. It's like, I would love to, you know, granted with augmented reality, we've got to have mm-hmm. that. But it's just like, I want that to be able to kind of put things together. Because he's doing it to put together his Iron Man suit, right? And just sort of like swipe that, throw that in the garbage bin, toss this, add this, draw these things. Um, I think it'd be a great visualization for network modeling. And mm-hmm. not just, you know, like computer network modeling, but process, process modeling and decision modeling. Mm-hmm. So... 
a lot of what we do, um, at least in my office, is process engineering. And that's going through looking at our entire human capital process, how we acquire, develop, employ, and retain our talent, Mm -hmm. and modeling those processes. I would love to be able to do that in three dimensions. (laughs) Nice. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking time to share and discuss with us. And if you get that table, before you do your engineering processing, super important, will you please make me an Iron Woman suit? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Mark, you can have an Iron Man suit, but I don't want his to be as good as mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and thanks to our listeners for joining today. Please visit the show notes for all the great recommendations that Chris gave us today, the topics that we discussed. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to smash that like button and we will be here next week. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.